the, the important thing about zero impact man is he's, he does it. He doesn't talk about it. Most mm-hmm. environmentalists talk about it. They don't mm-hmm. live it. So the things that I talk about come from real experience. So yeah. it's, it's the hard graft of sustainability, which most people have no idea about. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you want that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Climactic, your story on climate change. I'm sitting in the beautiful park of the Shrine of Remembrance here in Melbourne, under a gigantic hawthorn tree. And what I'm doing is actually taking the advice of my guests this week. Get out in nature, get right with yourself before you get into sustainability. My guest is Brett Hedger, sustainability officer at Port Phillip for many, many years. And we really get into the deep end of what it means to live sustainably. And honestly, it was pretty confronting when I did this chat a few months ago. And honestly, I felt a little gun-shy about getting back into this and and releasing it. I didn't want to release a dispiriting or disheartening episode. But it's funny that in the few months since I recorded this interview, the conversation around me or the conversation I've noticed happening out in the public has really shifted. And Brett's ideas that three months ago I found to be quite confronting now just sound like common sense, and I'm 100% on board. Brett's actually helping to run the EnviroChamps program from Port Phillip Council that I'm a part of right now and I'm doing every week. And it's been fascinating to see his persona with that group, sort of Brett in public relations mode. This interview with him, I think, really lets him show his inner thoughts, what he really thinks about people who want to live sustainably and talk the talk, but (laughs) would find the truth of what it takes to live sustainably to be really hard or not what they're expecting or confronting. I think confronting is really the best word for this interview. I don't know why I waited so long to release this. And in the process of listening back again, I realized that I couldn't cut this down to one episode. So just like we've had for the last fortnight, this is going to be another two-parter. So I hope you enjoy the first of this two-part interview with Brett Hedger, aka Zero Impact Man. Brett Hedger, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Someone doing the hard yards here who has a job at City Council, but today we're going to be talking about what, what you do yourself as an individual and this other persona you take on to, to tell people really the, the hard truths and the, the real reality of the situation. Brett, if I could just maybe just get an idea of, of who you are, how long you've worked here, how long you've been active in sustainability. I know it's probably too big a topic to sum up, but well, where are you from, Brett? Yeah, so I'm from Victoria, so country Victoria. I've been active in the environmental sector for about 30 years. I've worked here at the City of Port Phillip for seven years as a sustainability officer and before that at the Australian Conservation Foundation for a little while. Fantastic. And what, what did you do before you got into sustainability? Sort of... In just corporate Australia. Mm. So I worked in the IT mm-hmm. area. Yep. So just computer programming and 
systems management, those kind of things. Was it kind of a clean break going from IT into sustainability work? I was long overdue. <laughs> I was clearly not in the, the right job in uh, corporate Australia. I just didn't fit. Yeah. It just took me a long time to realise that the fit wasn't right. Yeah, I can relate to what that. What that feeling was in my body, in my heart, in my head. And, you know, so... It so probably it reached kind of a, a natural end for both parties, I think. There wasn't kind of a blow-up there at the end, though. It sounds like maybe there was a bit of a dramatic change of direction. I think it was a blow-up over a decade, actually. So, <laughs> no. But it's eventually... explosion. Eventually, yeah, eventually I got there. Yeah. Very good. So, so how, like, a lot of people, like, like myself, when I'm talking, especially, like, younger people who are, like, in high school or university, they think, how can I actually direct my efforts into something that I care about like how can I work in sustainability like how how did that transition from IT to sustainability actually happen for you yes yeah, so I'll give you my current advice to young environmentalists and what I generally say is that they should move out of the environment sector and mm-hmm. into perhaps an MBA or mm-hmm. management sector where you can achieve the most is by being the boss mm-hmm. not as the sustainability guy on the floor Uh, a ceo can do in five minutes what it'll take me 10 years Mm -hmm. and the ceo changes have longevity whereas the environmental activist changes can be wiped off the board the change of government 10 years hard graft you know it can be wiped off the board in five minutes Mm -hmm. yeah you might think that you can do a lot of change in organizations by being the sustainability guy but it's a hard hard road and it's there's just barriers all the way along uh, so my suggestion is to, if you're going to if you're going to confront this from a, the economic system, go down the economic system path and become the CEO and make big changes. That's that's a very good point. Yeah, stop screwing around at the bottom. Yep, that's pointless. Well, I think that's going to give a good tenor to the conversation. That you're going to hear some some hard truths here and some some of the past the BS and the fluff, you know. Yeah, and how did I get into it? Mm. Uh, well, it was, it was sort of in my heart. My, my background is teaching. I have financial degrees. Uh, I used to be an electrician. And what was my other degree? Got one more somewhere. Wow. Uh, IT, yes, yep. science IT stuff. So all of that really lent itself to a skill that's not really... It's not readily available in environmental sector. People who can figure out all the kilowatt hours, megawatt hours, megajoules, carbon emissions, tons and all that kind of stuff, all the financial or numbers kind of stuff, there's not many people and who also understand the hard, heavy electrical stuff and mechanics and those kind of things. So, And I had the teaching and my interest in people on top of that. I sort of fit into a niche. Most environmentalists that I encounter just fall into a specific category, whereas I Mm -hmm. just go wide and deep. Mm -hmm. Um, And other environmentalists like the fluffy stuff, the sort of what they call the the behaviour changey stuff. You know, let's make up some posters and have a little campaign and all that kind of stuff. Most of those things aren't done properly either from a behaviour change perspective. Mm -hmm. Does that the science behind it? It's not approached in the the rigorous way. Yeah. It's done more to make the doer feel better than the receiver. Yeah, and and just kill time, really. Mm. We haven't done a lot of tangible things in the last 20 years with all the knowledge we've had of what's going on with climate change, how much emissions we are putting out. Just with the trajectory we're on, we haven't done enough with that knowledge. No, 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 we've messed it up completely because, Mark, there's only really one measure from a, a global warming perspective, and that's parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. So when I 
started here seven years ago, and this is certainly not about the city of Port Phillip, but the parts per million at Hawaii was 387. It just topped 411.25, which is the highest average carbon emissions parts per million measured as far as we know. Average monthly 411.25 from May 2018. And in Hawaii, there's not a lot of heavy industry. This is more of an atmospheric well, average. That's where the keeling curve hands out. Okay, tell me about the keeling curve. Well, Keeling, um, Charles Keeling is the guy who came up with, the first started to systematically measure carbon emissions mm-hmm. in the atmosphere. So it's known as the Keeling curve. Mm-hmm. So that, that tracks the rate of increase of parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. So they've been running that since, I think, the late 50s. That's the thing that your listeners need to know about. That is the single measure. If you're not looking at that, um, that's why you can easily say there's lots of solar panels and wind farms and all that stuff around, but the carbon, we're just at our sixth, I was going to say the carbon just keeps increasing. We just passed through our sixth year of accelerating rates of increase. I hope that makes sense. Not only are we increasing, we're increasing at an increasing rate. Accelerating. Yeah. When they talk about decline, they only talk about decline and the rate of increase. Yeah. (laughs) You know, those newspaper headlines come out and say things are declining. It's It's a really important point for people to know about. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, check out the Keeling Curve. That is the single measure for global warming. There's lots of other measures. Species loss, which is very hard to measure. Deforestation, decarbonisation. All that stuff is available. And, you know, rather than me trying to convince people, what's important is that, you know, 10, 20 minutes on the internet and you can find all this stuff out yourself. The reason why we're not looking at it is because we're not looking. And that's the critical thing. So anybody else who was presented with all of this information, any, any other species would do something to combat this. You know, water's running out? Okay, we'll do something about it. Well, what do we do? We keep taking more at an accelerating yeah. rate. We keep taking more. How dumb is that? We put ourselves forward as an intelligent species. Intelligent, we say that we're more intelligent than every other species on the planet, but every piece of evidence I can find points to the contrary. Mm. Let's, go, let's go down this path a little bit, if we can, Brett. Um, when we sat down, you, you said you know, we're, we're, we need to kind of come to the realisation we're not the most special species on the planet. We need to stop putting ourselves above every other living thing on the planet. Yeah, Is that a belief that we're not exceptional or special? Is this something that you had to come to through education? Or we, we get told very much that, you know, we're special, we can make tools, we can we can harness fire, therefore we have the right to do whatever we want. It's, it's ingrained in some religious beliefs as well. Hmm. How, how did you get to this mindset? So, yes, I, I certainly agree with you, Mark, that education is a significant problem. Hmm. Uh, edu- education, from my perspective, is largely about the indoctrination of people to work in the economic system. And anybody who's gone down the path of deep sustainability knows that the economic system is the problem. So what you end up, certainly where I've ended up, is my fight is against the economic system. That's why programs that promote saving money Mm -hmm. are not programs that I endorse or encourage. If you're pushing to people saving money, then you're just using the system that's causing the problem. So it doesn't work. In terms of how does this whole species thing come about? Well, I guess Indigenous Australians and Indigenous tribes 
you know, and peoples all over the world, first people, have embraced this maybe yeah, not yeah. hundreds of thousands or of years, many, but certainly yeah. tens of thousands Definitely. of years as far as we know. That um, and the simple the simple way to put it is healthy country, healthy people, and it sounds much better in language. Yeah, the health. There's four words: healthy country, healthy people. Mm-hmm. And what is important to understand is that a healthy country comes first, and healthy people. You know, people. You can say the people aren't the most important thing. They just exist with all the other species, and we've got to come back down into that line that. We need a healthy country. We can't be healthy people without a healthy country. And our country's in dire straits at the moment. So bringing ourselves back into that zone is so, so important that we, we start to respect, you know, not only the land, the air and the water, but we respect every other species mm-hmm. and the critical roles that they play and the interrelationships that we have no, absolutely no idea about. And, you know, scientists are starting to realise the limitations of their scientific experiments performed, you know, in laboratories, where you take out all of the... The other factors. All of the factors to make it sort of repeatable. But those things they're, they're quickly discovering can't be repeated in nature because it's such a complex system. And we, we pretend we're these great, important beings that understand all this complexity. The natural world. Anything we do that's complex is, you know, like all the paperwork that we fill out in the taxation <laughs> system and all that other <laughs> You know, it's just, it's mind-numbing. Yep. And it diverts us away from living simply, mm-hmm. you know, with love. In small communities where we, we look after our country, healthy mm-hmm. country, healthy people. So... I guess I've always been in, interested in indigenous issues. I've always been in, interested in the land and the water, animals and birds. Mm. They're just beautiful. I just just connecting with myself, and I think that that's an important point. That you know, I think for your listeners, uh, what I recommend to people is is get yourself right first. Mm. You're going to push all your views on everyone else before you get yourself right. Get get in touch with your heart and be true to yourself. Nature is just such an important thing, but there's, there's far too many of us now. There are just too many people. As much as I'd like to say healthy country, healthy people, and all the people can get out there in nature, we can't have all those people out there in nature. No. They'll, they'll screw it up. I go bushwalking all the time, um, mountain climbing, bushwalking, um, on the lakes and the water and the tracks and in the bush and everywhere, every single place where people have been, they've stuffed it up. We've got to keep people out of the wild places. But the thing that's added over the top of that is global warming. So we can't just protect wild places anymore. And there's, there's very few wild places left on Earth. But we can't even protect them because of global warming. Yep, that destroys the wild places yep. by itself because it's, it's one of those things that's global yes. and all-pervasive. Even if we just stay in our concrete boxes in, in the city, which is mm-hmm. where most of us belong... Mm-hmm. We're still stuffing it up yes. for everything else, yeah. every other species. And that, that's the thing, that realisation, that thing that I just said doesn't mm-hmm. cause a pain in your heart. Maybe you don't have a heart, you know, or it's turned to stone. Mm-hmm. That we can sit in cities and destroy other species and not give a shit. That's just completely beyond me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why we don't go looking. That's why, you know, myself, I didn't know the name of the... Is it Keeler or Keeley? Keeling. The Keeling curve. Because I know it as, you know, Bill McKibben's hockey stick graph from 350. Yeah, I, didn't they stuff it up too? 350.org. What, what is, we're well past What is that? No, but the, the problem is, you know, when Bill McKibben said, do the math. Well, he got the math wrong. He got it wrong. Because 
This is what a lot of environmentalists do. They give people a budget. So what 350.org said is there's a budget. There's a, we can measure this thing in gigatons. Yeah. And sure, yeah, you can... What the gigaton of carbon or carbon emission equivalents, but they gave people a budget. They said, keep going. You, you're fine. You've got a budget. What 350.org should have said was it's all gone. The mark is 280, pre-industrial carbon. Mm-hmm. So that's the mark. Everything else, it was, that's where we have to stop. What 350.org should have said is stop. It's over. Mm-hmm. It's game over already. Now it's 411.25. There is no budget, and that's, that ties back into what we were talking about before, Mark, is that when environmentalists talk about money and saving and all that kind of stuff, this is the same economic thing that says you can continue to live your lifestyle the way you want, just change a few light bulbs. That's all nonsense. It's complete nonsense, and it will never get us closer to the solution because we haven't asked people to really stop and change. Mm-hmm. It's critical. So going back to the, the psychology aspect of, you know, you can do all these things as a well-meaning, very well-intentioned person talking about the environment and sustainability and climate change. And if your message is we need to have stopped before we're already, they have to say, you know, here's some steps before we get to this bad point. You have to give a bit of room out from where we are to account for for action to be taken. Here we are, we're still in an office, right? Like we, we even someone like yourself who's very dedicated to this, we can't do a complete U-turn with no space to move and go back to the land straight away. And as you say, we can't even do that because there's too many people. Well, so uh, 350 was passed in 87. How long do you want for your U-turn? Do you know how long ago 87 was? <laughs> a couple of decades after I was born would have been nice, but 87 was three years before me, yeah. 1987. Mm-hmm. That's when we hit 350. So how long does this species want for a U-turn? Do you want another couple of months? Tell me, Mark, when mm. when were you prepared to... And then we might get into what's actually required of that U-turn, but how much longer do you want? I'm, I'm ready. I don't, there's a lot about <laughs> city and society I'm ready to, to be gone with for the sake of... But isn't that what we just talked life? about? Yeah, yeah, it is. Giving people a bit of time? Yep, and we just... Take, We've just given them yeah. three decades. That's right. So, what, you want another ten minutes to... Do? See how see how it doesn't make yeah. sense? Yeah, you're right, you're right. It doesn't we, make sense. Talk out that mindset. And, and then, they, then, then you know, you go on like, um, say, 350, and they didn't, get the, they didn't get the maths substantially wrong. It's the budget part that I'm arguing about. Yeah. And also the projection into the future. This 2050 thing, like Paris, the Paris mm-hmm. Accord, or Kyoto, or any of that nonsense. They never got it right, because they always projected into the future. Mm-hmm. So 2050... We're, well, we're going to fix it in 2050, and then we're just going to go by then is to have stopped emitting uh, more every year, but maintain current levels of emissions. No, we're going to go full on into 2050. We're going to burn every last drop mm. of oil and burn every bit of coal and gas that we can till 2050. That's what's going to happen because we've been told we've got a budget and that everybody is geared up towards that. So nothing is going to change. There's going to be no U-turn, regardless of you know what I might suggest to you and your listeners. So we've laid out kind of the, the grim, dark future there. Um, collectively, we've laid it out. Yeah. Because collectively, we've said no. Collectively, mm-hmm. we want to continue our lifestyles as they are. And if you say yes to wanting to protect your lifestyle, and environmentalists to, to blame as well, because their messages have consistently been, 
You can continue doing this, just change your light bulbs, have a shorter shower. And that's worked, has it? But none of that's worked. Not really, no. No, because no one's... We're like um, little kids that have never been told no. We're all just spoiled. If I, I put this... I put this problem mark to any early primary school kid. Later primary school kids, it's too late because they get, they get systematised to right and wrong. Early kids and kindergarten kids, if I pre- present this problem to them, they can answer it straight away. They won't put up any of the barriers that, you know, mm-hmm. you're not putting up many. Um, we haven't it's talked deeply. Explaining deep. where my potential barriers would be coming from if I was making yeah, them, and I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't put much of that up yet, but a kindergarten child can, mm. can solve this problem. Mm-hmm. What we're doing now is... But you can't. Uh, we, we stop. Yeah, but it's shackled by an, a little bit of a knowledge of history to say that every single attempt to bring down the economic model of capitalism for the last hundred years has failed. Yeah, but it's within your grasp right now. And it's within the grasp of all of the listeners. It's really simple. Stop it's consuming. No, not necessarily stop that? consuming. There's, there's other ways around it. Stop and emitting. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a little more involved than mm. that. I mean, that's What's... where that whole zero impact man. Yeah. So, in it, where I, I've called myself zero impact man for the last two, two um, sustainable living festivals. I've just given a presentation about the zero impact lifestyle and where that sort of comes from is that that guy in america who called himself no impact man and people love love to find holes they feel confronted by this this persona of this zero impact man so they love to be syndrome on a well, sustainability maybe, basis maybe they, they want you know just in my experience pe- what people want to see is that yeah, there's this perfect guy out there like Bear Grylls, you know, Bear the Man versus Wild or whatever. They, this guy who can do everything. They don't want to be that person. No. In the same way, they don't want to be zero impact man. Mm-hmm. They want to know that there's perfection possible. Yeah. But then as soon as they confront that perfection, they want to find a hole. Yep. You know, it's like Bear Grylls. Oh, he's got a helicopter team there and his TV crew and all that kind of stuff or whatever. Um, it's the same with me. Are you wearing leather shoes? How can the zero impact man wear leather shoes? You know, and then as soon as I become fallible, the perfection is gone and they turn the other way anyway. They'll turn the other way from the perfection and they'll turn the other way as soon as he becomes fallible. So there's, there's, you can't win. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anyone who's been able to complete my 52-week challenge apart from me. And the 52-week challenge is only the first part of the challenge. And that would turn things around. If everyone in Australia, that would change the economic system very, very quickly. Within six to 12 months, we'd be living in a different country. All right, now's a good time to, for you to tell me about this. Yeah, the, and the critical thing to know about the 52-week challenge, Mark, and it's year one, there's other years. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the, the critical thing that I'm going to say to people is that it's forever. It's not like meat-free Monday or Plastic Free July, or any of those... Those campaigns are good to get started, but they don't, they don't get to the heart of the matter. Yeah, they're, they're not a solution. Yeah, the, they are. Yeah, well, oh, things like that I'd call plastic, plastic Free forever, meat free forever. Yeah. So the 52-week challenge is around things that, once you start them, you do them forever. Forever means your lifetime. And you work as hard as you can for the rest of your life to help others to do that as well. So anything's any of these little suggestions and I've got a little list you can have a Fantastic. look at in a minute but any of the things on the list are forever changes and that's what confronts people 
mean I have to stop this forever, Brett? Well, yeah, you do. Because you start out the conversation and you say, so Mark, we agree that there's a climate problem? Yes. We agree that it's an emergency? Yes. Yeah. And so you'd like to commit to some changes in your life? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's... And he's saying forever in the background to all you um, <laughs> listeners out there. So, yeah, they're, they're forever changing. And that's the first bit to get over that hump, that things have to change and they have to change forever. I kind of like always stepping back quite a bit from problems like this and sort of taking an anthropological look or the bird's eye view and something. Any of these things, I'm assuming, before I see the list, the things I'd be giving up are only things that one, two, three, up to maybe seven or eight generations of, of mankind has been able to have. And that's even that it's been in the industrialized West. There's a lot of these things on the list I'd be giving up are things that a lot of people in the world have never had and don't have today. So, like, that kind of really softens the blow for me because I think, well, if I don't have something my parents had, that's fine. They were that generation that was blessed by capacity and ignorance. <laughs> No one else sort of deserves that stuff anyway. Yeah. They didn't deserve them anyway. It was a lottery anyway. Yeah, and I don't know that that's the angle I'd take on it, Mark, that it's a giving up thing. Mm. So, and it's, it's certainly, you could live in a similar way that you do now. Depend, I don't know how you live, but um, you could certainly live in a similar way. Mm-hmm. If you came to my house, you might be in for a few surprises, but it would be very similar to the way you live in your house. But the impact is markedly different. So that's that's the thing. And I don't, the, the whole thing about... This is a common argument used against environmentalism and climate change you know, or doing something about climate change. It's going to take us back to the Stone Age. That's not true. That's just, that's just nonsense as well. So, But I think each of us has to start on that journey and make some of these forever changes. And there's also changes that you can make just in the background that are really, really simple and have virtually no impact. So switch your superannuation. This is one of the most powerful things you can do. Mm-hmm. You ask a room full of environmentalists and people who say it's a climate emergency, ask them where their superannuation is. I'm not asking you to do anything apart from not invest in fossil fuels. Number one, do it. So everybody out there listening, there's a website, marketforces.com org or dot com mm-hmm. uh, just there'll be a link yeah get, get on that and divest your superannuation imagine if everyone in Australia did that mm-hmm. we wouldn't be even talking about Adani that just, no. that, that just wouldn't, wouldn't be available that just wouldn't even that. come up all the coal fired power stations would be closed do you see a lot of us talk about that stuff but we don't actually do it that's true we don't do it and that's probably one of the most powerful things as an individual you can do to take charge of your money. Let them know before you do it. Let them know while you're doing it. I'm talking about the organisations that, that say, say you've got your superannuation invested with, you know, big corporate A. Mm-hmm. Tell them that you're concerned mm-hmm. before you take action. Wait for their response. Take the action after they give you the corporate response yep, that is meaningless, hollow and... Yeah, that's right. Um, got seven paragraphs too many you take our responsibility to manage your money very seriously but uh, we will continue to do it in a terrible way exactly and then and then take action and then tell them about it Mm -hmm. always tell them about it and 
don't fall for the trap of big corporate superannuation fund has a little sustainability fund. You know, it's like the 0.5%, 99.5% invested in all the old traditional stuff and 0.5% here for you greenies, keep you guys happy and stop you annoying. So we've got a sustainability fund, we invest in all that, you know, that bull- greeny stuff. Yeah, it's all greenwash. So get, get out. Get out completely and get into... There's, there's only two funds in Australia that are free from fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. That's ethical super, future super? Yeah. Oh, yeah Australian, Australian, ethical. Australian ethical and future super. Yeah. Future super is completely clear. Australian ethical is just a super company with a great history and that they only have one, one minor blemish. It wouldn't be that big of a concern. I'm invested in both of those, just okay. to declare my hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully in with ethical. So yeah. I'd love to know more about that blemish, but I'll talk to you. Yeah. Well, you can see that on the Market Forces website. You don't have to get my information. Yeah. Market Forces is the, yeah. the central place for Australians to go. That's great. To learn about their superannuation, health insurance, banks. There's one other thing on there. But it's, it's, those, it's, those, it's our contact through the transactions that we make that are largely invisible to us. Superannuation, for example, insurance, health insurance, and banking. We largely leave those in the background of our lives and pretend that they're so difficult to change. Those four things, or that one thing, if you call it divestment, is one of the most powerful things that an individual can do because if you've been working for 10 or 20 years, you've got a little stash of cash in super. It's invisible to you most of the time. Your bank transactions, if you've got a mortgage or any of those kind of things, they're big things and they they do have big impacts. If you start saying, I'm going to move it, I've moved it, I told you I'd move it, why didn't you do something? I'm not sleeping so much better at night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's a simple change. That's one, that's one of, well, probably, perhaps two of the things on, on the first year's list. All right, cool. Well, that's two down from me. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's two off the list. Now, how about the rest? Well, I'm not sure if you can hear it in the background, but buying a car with a very bad muffler and very loud engine noise sadly isn't on that list, but a lot of really good stuff is. Sorry to have to end it on a cliffhanger for you, but that will be all in next week's episode. I hope you got a lot out of this interview with Brett. I hope you can see why I initially found it to be kind of a lot to process all at once and why I needed a couple months distance from it to dive back into the edit and to think about releasing it on the show. This really felt like, to me, a dive into the the true subconscious or the unstated opinions of most people who are super passionate, but also really practical about sustainability, and who are tackling the problem of global warming and climate change with their eyes really fully open. And I appreciated so much Brett's candor and honesty when he sat down with me, and I hope you got a lot out of it too. So hopefully you like this and you're looking forward to next week's episode. But if you did enjoy the chat with Brett, please check out the links to more of his work in the show notes below. And now for some listener feedback. This is an email from Kate about the Tongaroa Blue episode with Haiti Taylor. Great podcast. Very informative. Highlighting the interconnectedness of climate change and plastic marine debris as both originating from the same wasteful, careless, and excessive consumer behavior is brilliant. I really like to reference to unintended consequences, Haiti. It's very true that we have no concept of how far-reaching the negative effects of plastic debris will be, and we should all act to curb plastic use to absolute essentials until environmentally sound alternatives are developed. The hormone-disrupting properties of some chemicals is very scary, 
Thank you for that, Kate. It's so cool to hear what people are enjoying about the show. And if you have any feedback yourself, just let us know at hello at climactic.fm or send us a message on social media. And with the helicopter overhead pulling me back into reality and out of my reverie among the trees at the Shrine of Remembrance, I'll do one quick last bit of housekeeping. Climactic is now six months old. I can't believe it's already been that long since we launched the show back in April. I'm incredibly excited and humbled that people like Maxine are joining the network. They're bringing us stories from across the country. It just makes me feel so happy. So now is also a really good time to ask you all a favor. Back when it was just me and Rich and Caleb doing the show, I was so happy with the numbers we were getting. It was a really fun hobby, and the fact you guys were listening was so validating. And that's still absolutely the case. But now we've got other people giving us their time and their effort in bringing us stories. I'd really love to grow the audience for their work. Because I really strongly believe that the stories we're telling are ones that a lot of people want to hear. We don't do any marketing or advertising for the show. So really the only way we can grow is if you lovely folks who are hopefully enjoying the show tell a friend who would enjoy it as well. On behalf of the Climactic team, thank you for listening. Have a great week. And here's the credits. Co-host, Rich Bowden. Producer, Caleb Fidicaro. Designer, Abigail Hawkins. Composer of our excellent theme music, Greg Grassi. Senior advisor, Gretchen Miller. And the first of our new climactic correspondents, Maxine Baisley. And we'll be back with part two with Brett next week. The Climactic Collective. Collective.